if we are God's children, then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. He gets everything. Guess what? So do we. We inherit a moral character and a glorified body like Jesus Christ our Lord. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and today we continue the series, The Christian's DNA. As you've learned so far in the series, the doctrine of adoption is more than a theological concept. It's a doctrine that comes with many privileges. Do you understand that, believer? The New Testament describes several privileges that Christians get to experience here in this life. But more than that, there are even privileges that we will experience in the new heaven and new earth when we're finally with our Heavenly Father forever. What a welcome and encouraging comfort that is. As Tom will show in today's message, every true follower of Christ will experience true and lasting privileges as a result of being adopted into God's family. Let's join Tom to learn more here on The Word Unleashed. So he was, he was qualified because he was like us, born of a woman, and he was qualified because unlike us, he kept God's law perfectly. And all of this, verse 5, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. He was under the law and kept it perfectly. We were under the law and failed miserably. And he came and was like us and lived here as one of us, keeping God's law so that he could redeem us, so that he could, by his death, purchase our forgiveness. That, here it is, in order that he redeemed us. So God sent his son. Don't miss the the sort of logical order here. God sent his son in order that he might redeem us, in order that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. So the only way your adoption was possible, think about this and let this sober you, the only way God could ever adopt you, the only way God could ever adopt me was by the sacrifice of his one-of-a-kind son. It's the only way it would ever happen. What is the instrumental cause of our adoption? How does one actually become a son or a daughter of God? You were born, and I was born, and we lived as children of the devil for years. So how does one get, what means does God use, or or, I'm sorry, what cause, what's the instrument that God uses to transition us from being a child of the devil to a child of God? And the answer is faith in Jesus Christ. Go back again to John 1. We've looked at it several times because it's so instrumental in our understanding of this. Verse 12 says, as many as received him, and at the end of the verse, he defines receive him to those who believe in his name. It was many as believed in his name to them, he gave the right, the legal authority to become children of God having already been born of God, verse 13. So the instrumental cause then is faith. And Galatians 3.26 makes it crystal clear. Listen to this. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
Can I just say, if you're here this morning and you're, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're hearing all of this, and, and the Lord's at work in your heart, and you're saying, I'm tired of the father I have who is a cruel, abusive taskmaster. He keeps promising me that my sin is going to satisfy me, and it never does. And suddenly, your eyes are open this morning. You're like the prodigal son sitting in the pig pen who says, wow, look at, look at the creator of the universe. Look at what he's done through his son. And, and you're wondering, how can I get from where I am to where he is? The answer is believe. Repent of your sins and believe in his son. And to you, he will give the right to become a child of God. So our adoption then was planned in eternity past. It was purchased in the death of Christ on the cross, and it was applied to us at the moment of our salvation. That means, brothers and sisters, we are now, right now as we're in this room, we are children of God. And, and John, John captures this. Look at back in 1 John chapter, one, or chapter 3, verse 1. He says, and such we are. John's point is that our being called the children of God is not some analogy. It's not some metaphor. It's reality. It's not just a title. It's a fact. In fact, look at 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. God the Father has already legally placed us into his family. We have become the sons and daughters of God, and we enjoy all the rights and privileges of a member of God's eternal family. Now, as I have said to you before, I think all of us, myself included, if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to, to think that 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 statement that God has now legally adopted us, we are his children by adoption, we, we tend to think that that statement should be followed by the caveats that come at the end of the commercial. You know, you're listening to the radio, and if you listen to the radio, and, and you know, there's this commercial, and then at the end of that commercial, in very fast speech, somebody gives all the caveats. We kind of think that this should be like that, something like, God has adopted us, but the adoptive father makes no guarantees, explicit or implied, and said adoption must be, may be rescinded at the, discretion of, at the discretion of the adopting parent for reasons including but not limited to, you know, that's kind of what we expect, right? Because that's who we are. Brothers and sisters, there are no caveats. There's no fine print. When God saved you, he legally adopted you in the very same sense that a human parent adopts a child. God truly thinks of you, Christian, as one of his children. Galatians 4, 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, a daughter. You are God's. Now, Along with our adoption, there are some amazing privileges, and I want us to consider those. There are many profound, immense privileges that come with our adoption into God's family. Next time, Lord willing, we'll go back to our text in 1 John 3 and look at the rest of verse 1 and verses 2 and 3. But 
But this morning, I want to I use the rest of our time to give you a brief list of the privileges of our adoption that appear throughout the New Testament. Because again, I just don't think we get this. I don't think we understand this the way we should. So let's consider, first of all, the current privileges of our adoption. Right now, today, as you sit here, what are the current privileges of our adoption? Number one, God has given us the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Because you've been adopted, you have the Holy Spirit. Secondly, God has given us access to Him in prayer. I don't think we really fully appreciate this. Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, and then He goes on crying, Abba, Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 says, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received, Christian, a spirit of adoption. I think Paul has a play on words there by a spirit of adoption. I think he means the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who accomplishes our adoption and comes with our adoption. But I also think he means the mindset of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, that word Abba occurs only three times in the New Testament. It occurs in those two verses I just read about us and our crying to God. The only other time it appears in the New Testament is in Mark 14, verse 36. It's in Gethsemane. And Jesus was praying, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. You need to understand the word Abba. It's not a a music group from the early 80s. No, this word is from Hebrew, but it's actually an Aramaic word. It comes from Hebrew, but in the New Testament times, it, it was an Aramaic word. In the first century, it was a very common word used every day in every Jewish home, that is, in homes where Aramaic was spoken. Abba was how a small child addressed his or her father. This is the Jewish Talmud, quote, when a child experiences the taste of wheat, that is when a child is weaned from his mother's milk, it learns to say Abba and Emma, Abba and Emma. In other words, Abba and Emma were the first words a child used to refer to his parents. It's it's like our word daddy or papa. Eventually, of course, Abba was no longer limited to small children, but but it became the way that even grown children referred to their fathers. Again, I understand this growing up in the South. uh, We grew up calling our father Daddy. My siblings who are in their 70s and 80s still refer to our father as Daddy when they talk about him. Although if he were still living, he'd be over 100 years old. It's a term of endearment that includes intimacy and respect. And here's the shocker. This is how Jesus always referred to God. But this was new with Jesus. 
you search all of the written documents of Judaism, and not one time does a Jewish person ever use Abba to refer to God. But it's how Jesus always referred to God. And here's the amazing thing. This is how Jesus taught us to think of and speak to God as well. The Holy Spirit confirms our adoption by teaching us to cry, Abba, Father, Papa. The Spirit makes us aware of this new relationship. The Spirit of adoption teaches us to cry out to our Father in prayer just as a human child constantly cries out to his Father in the midst of difficulty and trouble. It's amazing. There's a third current privilege of our adoption. God cares for us as His children. God cares for us as His children. Let me just give you a little list of what this means. As our Father, He loves us, like fathers do. He, he loves us as His children. John 16, 27, the Father Himself loves you. John 17, 23, Jesus is praying, and He says, Father, you have loved them even as you have loved me. And by the way, he always will. Psalm 103 says, from everlasting to everlasting is the steadfast love of the Lord. He has compassion on us. Here's another part of his care for us as his children. He has compassion on us and our weaknesses. Psalm 103 Verse 13, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him because he himself knows our frame. He's mindful that we are but dust. When you look at that little child, one-year-old child, your heart is moved with compassion. You understand their shortcomings, their weaknesses, their, their issues, and you have compassion toward them because you know that's what you expect from a child. God's the same toward us. He protects us as our Father. Proverbs 14, 26, in the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence, and listen to this, and His children will have refuge. He provides for our needs. Matthew 6, I wish I had time to take you there. Beginning in verse 25, Jesus says, listen, Look around you, Christian. Stop worrying. Look at the birds. God feeds every one of them. Psalm 50, every bird of the forest is mine, God says. And Jesus says he cares for every one of them. Do you really think he's not going to care for you? Look at the, white, look at the blue bonnets. Look at how God clothes those temporary blue bonnets. Do you really think he's not going to give you what you need? He goes on to say, don't worry about these things. Your father knows you need these things. He cares for us. Matthew 7, 11, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? He's using an analogy. He's saying, listen, Tom, if, if your daughters know that if they have needs and they come to you and say, Dad, I need this, and I agree they need it, I'm going to meet that need. It, it may be in my own way that I determine is wise. It may be in my own time. But I'm not going to let my children go without what they need. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're evil and you do that, what do you think God is like? He lovingly corrects us as his children. 
Hebrews 12, verses 6 and 7, those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. God deals with us as sons. For what son is there whom His Father does not discipline? And by the way, how does He discipline us? Two ways. Most of the Father's discipline of us is His verbal instruction, just like Solomon to his sons in Proverbs. That's why we have the Scripture. He's he's disciplining you by teaching you how you ought to think and how you ought to speak and how you ought to live. And if you refuse to listen to His verbal instruction, then just as we do as human parents, the Lord may include some corrective discipline as well. But so much of His discipline is teaching us His way. So, God cares for us as His children. Number four, Christ is our older brother. This is another current privilege of our adoption. Christ is our older brother. Romans 8, 29, Christ is the preeminent one among many brothers. You ever thought of yourself this way? You are a, you are a brother or sister of Jesus Christ. He is your older brother. That's how he thinks of it. Hebrews 2, 11, he is not ashamed to call us brothers. Verse 17 of that same chapter, he had to be made like his brothers in all things. To use the words of the creed, he, he was just like you except for sin. He is just like you except for sin. He's, he's your brother. Number five, we are brothers and sisters in God's family. Ephesians 2.19, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are of God's household. Galatians 6.10, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You belong to the family of God. We are to relate to each other as members of a large family. Is that how you think about the people in this church? It's how you should. What amazing privileges. But folks, those are just our current privileges. Quickly, let me give you a a brief list of our future privileges, the future privileges that come with our adoption. You see, we don't yet enjoy all the privileges that come. As good as salvation is in this life, it's not all there is. Since we are God's children, we have His promise that we will receive an eternal inheritance. Galatians 4, 7, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Colossians 1.12, the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, has caused us to obtain an inheritance. We are God's heirs, and we are fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. So what exactly will we inherit? This is an amazing list. First of all, eternal life in God's kingdom. Luke 12, 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Titus 3, 7, being justified by His grace, we are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs of eternal life. Secondly, we inherit everything in the universe. Hebrews 1, 2, There we learn that God's Son is the heir of all things. Well, Romans 8, 17 says, if we are God's children, then we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. He gets everything. Guess what? So do we. 
Thirdly, we inherit a moral character and a glorified body like Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8, 29 says, those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son. That's His moral character. 1 John 3, 2, when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. That's our moral characters, but not just our moral characters. We get a glorified body like His. Philippians 3 says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. I get a glorified body just like His. And then, number four, I get the new heavens and earth and God Himself. Revelation 21, 7 He who overcomes, that's every Christian, will inherit these things, talking about the new heavens and the new earth. And then God says, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. I will be her God, and she will be my daughter. I'm the youngest of ten children. My dad worked hard to provide for our family, but, but frankly, things were always tight. Growing up, I wore clothes that were passed down to me from my older brothers and from neighbors. In fact, I don't, I don't ever remember going to the store to buy clothes. I didn't know you did that until I was in middle school, and I'm not making that up. I worked my own way through nine years of college and graduate school. Before my mom's death, she divided by ten what she received from the sale of our childhood home, which frankly wasn't worth much, just the two acres it was on, and she gave me my inheritance a tenth of the proceeds, about the way it all worked out in the end, was about $2,000. That was my inheritance. And you know what? I was surprised to get that. My dad died when I was 23, so I've been without him most of my life. I love him. I'm grateful for him. I'm excited to be with him again. But listen, my adoptive father, my heavenly father, can't die. And he has lovingly cared for me throughout my entire life, and He has promised that someday He will give me and every other son and daughter of His an inheritance, and that inheritance is absolutely staggering. Eternal life in His kingdom, everything that exists, His own moral character, a glorified body like His, God Himself and His presence in a new heaven and a new earth forever. That's my inheritance. And Christian, that's yours. Is this how you think of God? As your adoptive father? As Abba? If you're a Christian, if you've repented and believed in Jesus Christ, this is how you ought to think of Him. Because this is reality. You were once a child of the devil, and at that time your only relationship to the God of the universe was as your creator, your rightful king, and the one who would eventually be your judge. But in Jesus Christ, your creator and king and judge has declared you righteous, and he has adopted you. And just as was true with Jesus, God is now also your Abba. You're really, truly his son or his daughter. It's amazing. God could have saved us. He could have justified us without adopting us. But instead, 
He made us sons and daughters. See how great a love the Father has given to us that we should be called by God Himself the children of God, and such we are. I hope you will spend the rest of your life here in eternity celebrating the greatest privilege of the gospel. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part six of his series, The Christian's DNA. Tom will have part seven for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Are you interested in attending the Master's Seminary? Countryside Bible Church, where Tom serves as pastor, is home to the Master's Seminary Dallas Distance location. Join Pastor Tom as he hosts the Master Seminary Spring Preview Weekend, coming up March 23rd through the 26th, 2023, at Countryside. You'll interact with Tom, attend seminary classes, and participate in church life at Countryside. For more information and registration, go to the Word unleash.org. That's the word unleash.org. And remember to connect with us on social at the word unleashed. We also invite you to visit the word unleash.org where you'll find other resources, including additional series from the word unleashed. That's the word unleash.org. You know, the Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Thank you.